Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 22 of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashensky and joining me today once again is Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Well, kind of on Hayden. He's going to be hopping on a little bit later to give his picks. But most of today it's just going to be Casey and I hanging out. So let's say hello to our other member of the crew tonight. How are we doing today, Casey? And how's your team looking these days? What's up, Wally? Team's looking all right, man. I'm doing all right. We didn't really have that great of a practice today and yesterday, really, now that I think about it. Really hoping that we're not looking forward or looking ahead because I think this team is better than what their record shows. And they, uh, I mean, honestly, they could get us if we're sleepwalking through this game. But first, I want to comment and say I've, I've finished the podcast listening to our podcast the other day, and you did a fantastic job um, with Drew in that interview. That was awesome, dude. You really nailed it. And then, yeah, I mean, just really excited for this weekend of football. It's it's kind of kind of low-key, but I still think we got a great slate of games going. Well, we saw it almost even this last Saturday. Sometimes the weeks that we expect there to be a slow slate or a little bit boring of a weekend sometimes turn out to be the best weekends for college football. I mean, we see crazy things happen last week. I know it was not to that high scale, but the Oregon-Ohio State game, nobody expected Oregon to walk in and dominate like that, especially in the horseshoe. We didn't expect to see Iowa, Iowa State. I mean, I guess many people didn't. We expected the low-scoring, boring game. But this is what the best time of year is what it's all about. And the NFL's back, too. So, yeah, man, you can't really beat football two days of the week now. Oh, gosh, man. No, you cannot. Steelers got a great win. It did not look like it was going well in the first half. I actually watched the whole game. I was kind of surprised that it was on, to be honest with you. But, man, that defense is something else. Uh, I know they gave up a decent amount of yards to Josh Allen. Most of that was really in the second half, and they just got after him. Melvin Ingram is going to be a really big pickup, or a really good replacement for Bud Dupree. If he stays healthy, man, he might be a better addition of Bud Dupree, in my opinion, because they were getting after him with uh, rushing three or four guys. So really excited about the Steeler defense. Steeler offense, though, man, it was the same stuff. Struggle to stretch the ball down the field. I'm just not too sold on the receivers yet. Obviously, Ben's arm is an issue, and then my boy Najee was just getting beat up back there a little bit. Didn't really bust loose for anything, but that's also credit to um, the Bills' defense. They ha- they have a fantastic defense themselves. But yeah, man, I mean, I could I could talk football all day. It's what I love to do, but uh, I'll I'll just leave it at that. No, I mean, I wish people could have seen us on the couch at Hayden's place even two weekends ago, where it's four a.m. After our long Saturday that we wake up early, we're drinking all day, and we're still barely eyes are closing, and we're still, hey, let's talk a little bit more about that game or this game. But ironically enough, that other podcast I do, Loss of Down, I got blocked for the first time on my Twitter existence life this weekend trying to discuss, because it wasn't even an argument, or I didn't think it was, with Steeler fans about what you just talked about, where... This is one of the better defenses we've seen at the NFL level in a long time. And it's getting squandered by the offense. And there's this self-awareness divide that people can't understand that Big Ben isn't what Big Ben used to be anymore. And nostalgia hurts. But for what that defense is, I mean, they're good enough to potentially win the division. That's how good that defense is. But, I mean, God, we could talk about the NFL for another hour and a half too. But 
by the way, the Raiders did win on Monday night as well, Casey, and they, they yeah, looked okay. It, yeah, well, when they were down 14 nothing, I was so close to shooting you a text, man. I was actually watching the uh, Peyton and Eli version. I don't know if you've watched a game where they do that or how, how many times they've even done that. But that was very informative. It was funny. I mean, they were – they and then they brought – Ray Lewis was on there. Gosh, I'm blank. Travis I, I think, Kelsey was on there. Russell yeah, yeah, Wilson just like, was on there. Yeah, just like random big names just chilling on a couch talking football. That was really cool. But back to your Steelers point, yeah, man. I mean, what people don't understand is that in the NFL, if you give up 16 points, especially to a team like Buffalo, man, that is a win. Like, it's not college where – you play an inferior opponent, you expect them to score less than 10 points, and then that evens out when you play against, like, good teams and you allow 21, 28, whatever. But, like, giving up 16 points to that team was, uh, I mean, that was a big dub. And yet, we still barely won the game at the end because our offense just couldn't take a step forward. And that's just been the issue for the Steelers for really, you know, going on three or four years now, ever since Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell really left is when we saw the explosive Steeler offense kind of dwindle down a little bit. Yeah, I want to say, if I'm remembering right, they had 248 yards. It's either 248 or 258, and that's good enough maybe for week one right now to get a win, but that's not going to get it done in January, and that's where they've got to improve between now and then. The line's got to keep making strides. But that was a very impressive win in Buffalo, and that needs to first and foremost be mentioned, that it was a big win, and credit to that defense. And going to your point a second ago, Melvin Ingram, if he stays healthy, is better than Bud Dupree. That line, with how strong they are, I mean, it's there's no speed rush on that line right now. It is straight bull, it's straight power, and they're that much better than most offensive line that they're playing. It doesn't matter. Well, we will, I'm sure, be checking in each week about all of our teams. You got Hayden with the Tampa Bay Bucks, me with the Vegas Raiders, and Casey with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm sure you'll hear plenty all of All over us. the place. All <laughs> over the place is right, dude. Otherwise, let's just jump right into our topics. And we're going to save one of our topics till later, just in case Hayden does get in here in time that we want to talk a little bit about that. It's Ohio State-related, naturally, so he wants to probably get his what voice in there but Casey do you want to give us any recruiting update is there anything worth talking about these last few weeks or more the same in a really dead period of time here really really dead again uh this past week as a matter of fact I don't think that there were any commits to uh Big Ten schools within the last week but something to keep an eye on USC firing Clay Helton will have I, I would assume a pretty big effect on the recruits that are committed there currently. And more specifically with Damani Jackson, five-star cornerback number, I think four overall has a really good relationship with Will Johnson. Who's a Michigan commit right now, five-star cornerback as well. Will Johnson posted something over the weekend about them t- or two days ago, a picture of both of them at Michigan said it's time to come home, all this stuff, just a lot of buzz around Damani Jackson and Will Johnson uh, going to Michigan. Just something to keep an eye on. I'm not guaranteeing it at all. Although I think like 10 episodes ago, I did guarantee that. But whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll let that slide. And that recruiting class really is very top heavy. And they have guys like Jaden Gold, who's from New Jersey. So it'd be really interesting to see if like a Rutgers or a Penn State can, you know, pull him to, to stay at home. 
And also Ohio State and Michigan both recruit that area very well traditionally. So just something to keep your eye on as recruiting is kind of boring right now. Now, I do want to, it's not Big Ten news, but you brought up Clay Helton. I feel like we'd almost be doing, we, we would have our blinders on if we didn't pretend like we saw all the USC, Urban Meyer, and those kind of rumors and jokes online. Urban comes out today, says that he is in no way, shape, or form going to take this job. Does that close the door and the discussion for you, or are you like a lot of the talking heads out there right now that you believe Urban Meyer could be looking for an early exit from Jacksonville to get back to the college game? And I probably should also add on before I throw it to you, there's a lot of rumors about James Franklin today in mutual interest with USC. Give me your entire temperature on this situation. Who do you think is the favorite? And are one of those two guys, I guess, the expected USC head coach in your eyes? Yeah, so um, listen to the radio today. There were four guys that popped up with James Franklin being one. But there's also another Big Ten head coach that was rumored to... Um, actually, they I, I listened to the odds, and they actually had better odds than what James Franklin did. Interestingly enough, James Franklin and Urban Meyer were both 17-2 to two odds to take that job. Just before him, at I think fifteen to two odds, was PJ Fleck, which would really be interesting. I'd love to hear Hayden's thoughts on that, especially because I know he's not a PJ Fleck guy. He thinks that that's not going to work at a you know traditional powerhouse football team like USC. So that'd be interesting. But then number one um, was Luke Fickle, kind of Midwest, uh, or obviously Midwest guy, but not Big Ten. So yeah, interesting. You know, I think. I, I can't really get my head around whether or not it would be an upgrade for James Franklin from a football perspective only if he left Penn State for USC. So I, I you know, I've seen all the rumors as well. I, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. I think they're interesting. It's always interesting whenever a big job comes open and there's a bunch of names being thrown around. But I, I don't really have any thought on it yet. It'll be interesting once it gets to like December, January. And then obviously, in my opinion, the longer they wait, the more it opens the door for Urban to finally get out of that season that is probably going to be terrible at Jacksonville and take that job if that's what he's wanting to do. Yeah, to start with Urban Meyer, first of all, I do think that this is going to be a historically bad Jacksonville Jaguars team. We also got to see going into this last week. I mean, I want to say they were either two and a half or three point favorites against Houston. And people were saying Houston is one of the worst rosters we've seen in a long time in the NFL. They boat race a overmatched and outcoached lost looking Jaguars team. And I think that you're going to see more of the same. It's got that Nick Saban. It has that Lou Holtz. It has that kind of college coach that never should have went to the NFL, that raw, raw style coach. It doesn't make sense. If Urban Meyer was sitting at home or still at Fox, I would be more inclined to say that this would be a job that you would be immediately, even potentially brought in right now. But because of where he's at, I don't think that he's willing to take that legacy hit that would be what Nick Saban did at Miami, would not have been forgotten had it not been for what he did at Alabama in that first five years. So if Urban Meyer went to USC, you're talking about an expectation to immediately change the wheel 
to fix that program, get it back to what it would be, or you're going to have a very negative response to it. So I don't think he's an option. I don't feel like James Franklin's a good fit. The only thing I'll say, and then I'll, I know I'm talking a little while here, but you brought up P.J. Fleck. I don't know if I would say that in a traditional, like let's say the Ohio States, Penn States, Michigan, the Midwest kind of styles of the world, those big programs, it would work. But a USC Hollywood, you want that flash, you want that head coach that's very into that media culture, that area in general. I think P.J. Fleck could have that charisma and attitude that it would work really well. And you know the guy can recruit. And if he can just get that program back, I have, I have no doubt at all. But that, that's enough for me right now. Do you have anything you want to add on to what I just oh, said? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, the more that I think about it, you know, USC's most successful head coaches more recently, Pete Carroll, he was very involved, very outgoing guy, you know. And then, you know, I know Lane Kiffin wasn't as successful at USC, but it, it always seems like, you know, they, they have outgoing guys, big, big name guys. And then they brought in Clay Helton, like they kept Clay Helton. And it was just kind of like a, yeah, you know, but yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be really interesting. I think PJ Fleck and James Franklin will both be really big names to keep an eye on for that position. It's weird, but you have, your head coach is realistically the face of your program. So to have that same kind of personality as the team you want to be matters. And having Clay Helton stay out there was a little confusing because if there was someone that wasn't SoCal, wasn't Southern California, it was Clay Helton. But the last thing I want to say about what you brought up before, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, I would say 20 years ago, if you asked me which was the better football program or position, it was without a doubt USC over Penn State. 10 years ago, I think you start getting closer to about even, I think that the pendulum is swung to at this moment, I would rather be a Penn State head football coach than at USC with those massive expectations in the amount of time it will take to finally get them in the right direction again. Yeah, that's a great point. So 20 years ago, actually, USC hadn't really gotten back to USC standards yet. That was, you know, Carson, but I know what you're saying, like the either Reggie Bush, Matt Liner era. Yeah. And then I, I mean, I would, in 2011, yeah, ish that that area, I would say Penn State starts to take the lead, and now, yeah, it just it just kind of seems like they're both in the, in the same boat as far as you got a mountain to climb to beat Ohio State for the Big Ten East Championship. You have a mountain to climb in Oregon in the Pac-12. So I I, I mean I think both jobs are similar in terms of that that aspect, the mountain to climb. But I think right now, I've said this for many times on the episode. I think Penn State has the second best roster in the Big Ten. I don't know why why you leave that, really, but we'll see what he does. It'll be interesting, for sure. Yeah, well, and I feel like we could have talked about this forever, because there are other paths you could talk about where the Pac-12 championship game is different, so getting there is easier than in the Big Ten as a Penn State, but maybe we can bring that up at the very end and get Hayden's thoughts if he is here in time. But we'll jump now into our game previews for this weekend. Before I go into our first matchup, I will point out that Wisconsin is on a bye this week. I'll real quick at the start of each of these, now that we're getting into the byes, mention that 
Their next game will be against Notre Dame at Soldier Field next Saturday. Very excited for that one. What our first one in another weird time for Illinois. Maryland's traveling to Illinois to Champaign at 9 p.m. on Friday night. So you guys will probably miss the first half with their high school games this weekend. We'll make sure that we catch you up. Otherwise, Maryland is a seven and a half point favorite in this game on the road. The over-under is at 60 and a half. These teams, I know they've been, I guess, both Big Ten foes now for over 10 years, but they've only ever played one time with Maryland winning in 2018. When you look at this game right now, I kind of got the feeling that we're missing something again with this line. I feel like Maryland should be a lot higher than 7.5 point favorites, but I'm going to go to you before I give my pick on this. Maryland, 7.5 point road favorites, 60.5 points is the total. What is your makeup? What do you think of this game? Yeah, I completely agree with you, Wally. I think this Maryland team will be able to throw the ball all over Illinois, a team that gave up 400 and something yards to Virginia last week. And I think they'll score points. The only thing that concerns me is that this is a Friday night game. This is the only game on. This is going to be, you know, another time. It kind of feels like another Illinois-Nebraska game where Illinois has got the spotlight and they just play better than what they actually are. That's the only thing that really scares me. But other than that, I do not see a way Illinois wins this, wins this game. I'm taking Maryland minus seven and a half. But I'm, I'm actually going to take the over. And that kind of, kind of the same reason why I have concerns about Maryland win, winning this game is that I think Illinois will come out and start fast. will control the ball for the most part early on, I should say. And wow, is that is that accurate? Their only matchup ever, 2018, was 63 to 33. Yes, that is accurate. Holy smokes, that is that is crazy. So yeah, I mean, I have to take the over then, right? <laughs> if if they scored 96 points the previous time, I am taking the over. I could see this being like a 45-24, 45-28 kind of game. See, I'm weird. This is where I actually feel, and it's going to be a trend for me, Casey. When I went through the schedule, I have to try to keep track of this. I have a ridiculous amount of unders this week. I just feel like the matchups really line up where unders are going to hit a lot. This week, for instance, I'm really giving up hope on that Illinois offense. We were really encouraged in that week zero matchup with Nebraska when Illinois was able to do a little bit there in the second and third quarter. Outside of those two quarters, this is an offense that has really not done much all year. And I think you're going to see more of the same. Not to mention, this isn't Maryland that we've really grown accustomed to since they've come into the Big Ten. They played that West Virginia team, a West Virginia team that's very proud of how they moved the ball, and they shut them down. The game really wasn't as close as it should have been. And I think that you're going to see a similar output again where they're going to hold Illinois to something like 14 to 20 points. I have this game being a 42 to 17 Maryland win. So that is Maryland covering this spread and the under as well. Fun fact as well, before we throw it to the next game that we should mention probably every time at the start of these weeks, but we have yet to do that, I guess, consistently. Casey and I are basically tied for first in our standings going into week three. I am one one hundredth of a point, a unit up over Casey 
So that is Oh, whatever. That is the literal equivalency of a penny if you are betting $10 on each of these games. So we're for all intents and purposes tied. So this is going to be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun as the year goes on. But let's go to our next game in a team that we just seemingly can't get off their backs here. The start of the year, Nebraska is traveling to number three, Oklahoma, in a traditional, the old school, Big Eight even. Those matchups with these two teams, Nebraska is a 22 and a half point favorite in this game. Ah, man. There's not a lot of encouragement I feel like you can take leading into this game as a Huskers fan outside of you took care of business against two teams that you should have taken care of business with going into this week. Is there any way that the Huskers cover? I know you talked about wanting to bet it so you have a rooting interest, but do you actually think this is going to be a game that they can hang around a little while? Yeah, I actually do. And I'm actually going to take Nebraska plus 22 and a half. And you mentioned that they they beat the teams that they should have, which is fair, yes. But they also looked good doing it. You know, we were pretty high on that Buffalo team, or Hayden was pretty high on that Buffalo team last week. And they they really controlled the game uh, the entire time. Buffalo really had no shot at winning. And so the, the fact that they have the momentum going in their mind now, like Illinois is gone, they're going into Oklahoma, they obviously know they're underdogs. I think they'll come out with some juice and with some fire. I, I don't think they're going to win the game. I think it could be like a 17 to 21 point win for Oklahoma. I'm going to take the over as well. I'm a, I, If I had to put a score prediction on it, I would say Oklahoma, Oklahoma wins 45 to 24. I think that Nebraska puts up a decent amount of points. Well, we saw in the week one matchup with Tulane, they did struggle to stop that team, especially when they needed to get stops in that fourth quarter. Gave up 35, and we really didn't learn anything at all about them last week. You can't play Western Carolina and really get any kind of a gauge. My biggest concern is whether or not Nebraska is able to slow up Spencer Rattler in this game, if they're able to keep him in check. I think he's going to throw all over this Nebraska defense, which I do want to point out, even in that Illinois game, the defenses look solid this year. That was a misleading 30 points I feel like they gave up against Illinois. Yeah, wasn't one of them on like a block punt and then like another one was a pick six or something weird, something funky, I remember. They had a scoop and score. They had a safety on that punt. They had turnovers that put them in bad positions. Like The Nebraska Blackshirts defense, it's closer to being back right now than I feel like we've seen. And if they could even get a marginal improvement out of Adrian Martinez... We might be looking at a Nebraska team that's worth a damn, worth talking about a little bit more. And I hope that you're right. I don't think that they're able to cover. I think they're able to hang around for a quarter or two on emotion alone. But at some point, Oklahoma's a very, very good football team. This is a playoff team. And I think that that's going to really show up. But we had been a little, I guess, skeptical over how long Scott Frost could last in this year. I should also mention, I have the under as well. Oklahoma wins 42-13. to 13. But we mentioned Scott Frost might be out at some point there in this year. Because of how they've played in the last two weeks, I think even if they get shellacked in this game, he isn't necessarily on that hot seat that it could be any given Saturday right now. Do you agree? Do you think that, he's might, that he might have bought himself maybe the rest of this year or at least 
another couple really bad losses. I do agree with that. And I think that really it has to do with how they looked the past two weeks. It, had they come out against Fordham and really struggled and, and won that game by a touchdown or maybe 10 points, and then they come out and lose er, and are in another battle with a team like Buffalo, then yeah, I could definitely see him getting fired after they lose in this game to Oklahoma. But I do think that the way they looked the past couple weeks has bought him, I would say until the end of the season, but it's like Illinois, we we get high on them a little bit after a decent win, and then they're going to just tank. So that's what I'm afraid of with Nebraska. So we'll see. I mean, the jury's still out, obviously. With how that temperature of that Nebraska fan base is so hot and so cold, that if Nebraska finds a way to lose this game by 10 points, we'll hear about how Scott Frost has finally turned this program around. There's reason to be excited there. But if they lose this game 45-10, to 10, you'll hear those same people that would have flipped that script calling for his head on Saturday night. So I hope for Nebraska's sake, for Scott Frost's sake, for Trev Albert's sake, that they're able to at least compete and give people reason to be patient with this team. Because this is a brutal schedule this year too. Didn't we say in the preseason it's the toughest in the Big Ten? Yeah, that CBS Sports came out with that article and Nebraska had the toughest schedule in the Big Ten. Yeah, so good luck to Nebraska. We're hoping that they keep it close. We'll get Hayden's picks again too when he comes in later. We'll rapid fire them for you that the games he missed. But again, for you there, Casey had the over in Nebraska covering. I had the under in Oklahoma covering. So this is, we already have three of our four picks changed up. It's a little different than we have seen where we go very much stride for stride in the early games. Maybe this one would be on the same page. Number eight, Cincinnati is traveling to Bloomington to face the Hoosiers in a game that going into the season, we thought this potentially could be a top 10, top 15 matchup when we got to this point. Indiana has not lived up to their end of the hype so far. Cincinnati, on the other hand, they've taken care of business. They've won both of their games pretty handily to this point. They are a five-point road favorite going into Bloomington. Over 100 is at 50 and a half. Before I give my pick, let's hear from you. Who wins this game? Who covers? And can Michael Penix Jr. finally figure it out? I'm still pretty hyped up about this game. I'm not going to lie. I truly do think that Indiana is going to finally fill that stadium and make it look nice, and the home crowd will have an effect on the game. I do think Cincinnati is a better team. Michael Penix Jr., unfortunately, from what I've seen of him so far this year, is not making the strides that I think that he needed to in order for this Indiana team to be another top 15-ish team like they were last year. So because of those reasons, I'm also going to go Cincinnati minus five. If five is in play, I'm also going to take Cincinnati money line. But I'm going to go with the over. I think that Cincinnati is going to put up points on this Indiana team. I could see it being like 42 to 24-ish. Cincinnati coming out with a big victory. It will be interesting to see if we actually get a packed Bloomington Stadium for a change. We've seen it get done, what, way in the past when you have big teams like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State traveling. But to see Indiana potentially do it for a home venue, home game against a team like Cincinnati would be really exciting to see where that program has at least got the excitement of the local community there in Bloomington. I'm a little bit 
concern, though, that we're going to see more of the same from that Indiana offense. I think Cincinnati will cover the five points in this game, which means I would take the money line as well if we are doing that up to five points. We have to figure that out. And then I'm going to actually go with the under again. So that's three straight times now. I have the final score being Cincinnati 28 to 16 for Indiana. I need to see Penix Jr. look comfortable in the pocket, comfortable throwing the ball. And so far this year, we really haven't seen that. Last week against Idaho, we really wanted to see that passing game at least look natural. At least look a little bit more like we've grown to accustomed to with him throwing the ball, stretching the ball downfield, and only have 68 passing yards. It makes me nervous. I don't think that it's going to get any easier, especially against a defense like Cincinnati. Man, you start the year with Iowa. I know that you struggle with Idaho. You should probably beat them up worse than you did. But then they get another defense like Cincinnati to start the season. It's going to be a challenge for Allen in this team. I hope that they can keep it close. But I do not think they do. I think Cincinnati wins by two scores. But luckily now for everybody else, we have Hayden Ramsey back. He just joined us. We're going to throw it over to him first before we get his picks and what he thinks on this game. What's going on in your world, man? How's your team looking? And you got to be happy, too, to also have NFL football back as well, huh? What's going on, guys? Sorry I'm late. We had to perfect a few things at practice that we've really been been working on and hitting hard this week, and I'm really excited. We've had a we've had a really really good week of practice, and I'm excited for our game on Friday. It's a very very winnable game. You know, we have a great opportunity to finally get in the win column, which will be super exciting for our guys. So we really wanted you know this week, and that's why we we, we ran over a little bit. We really wanted to focus on details and, and getting stuff down, so I'm really excited. We're, we're, we're doing well over here. Let's get a W out of you this week, and that'd be really exciting. We'd have to hear more about that on Sunday. But now to, I guess, let you know what you have missed so far. We have touched on our first few games here. We'll get your picks real quick, and if you want to throw a, what, a statement or two, feel free to do it. So in our first game today, we had Maryland at Illinois. It's a Friday night kick for you, Hayden. Maryland's a seven and a half point road favorite, and the over/under is set at sixty and a half. Who you got and why? Week one, when when Maryland played West Virginia, I was I was all over West Virginia, and you know I was just a little bit unsure about who Maryland was or you know how they were going to look. But Tagovailoa has looked really well, and on the flip side, Illinois these past couple weeks hasn't. And I expect Maryland to score a ton of points in Illinois with their struggles on offense. I just I don't see it. I'm gonna take I'll take Maryland minus the seven and a half. And you know, the over-under here I was I've been debating. I think I settled on the under just because I do not trust Illinois' offense one bit. And I just don't think they're going to put up any any production really that's 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 noteworthy. So Maryland wins big and take take the under of 60 and a half. Do you just want me to roll right into the next the next game or feel free yeah. How we're do you want me to do this? Tempo. We're going tempo offense here. Tempo. We're going NASCAR. We're going NASCAR here. Swinging into the next one. Boy, this this could get real ugly. This game could get ugly real quick. <laughs> I I see Casey's Casey's stubborn and he's going to rock with his Nebraska plus 22 and a half. And I said before the year started that I was going to take that line but but after watching Nebraska play, there's no way 
that I could ever take that. Oklahoma minus 22 and a half. They're going to score a ton of points. This is another game that I think the over-under is a little tricky. And that's also because I don't think Nebraska is going to score. So it's going to be up to how much, literally how much Oklahoma wants to win by. And I'm going to take the over, 62 and a half. I think, I think you could see Oklahoma in the 50s here, which means Nebraska only has to score around 10, 10 or so points, which I think they may be able to do that, especially once we get into the little ugly, ugly ending, the ugly time at the end. I think they could do that and get the over. And then I think this is the last one I'm missing here is the Cincinnati-Indiana game. And, you know, before the season, I think we were talking about this game, how, like, big this could be for both teams. You know, not to kind of damper it a little bit, but this game, I think, has lost a little bit of juice with how Indiana's looked. And I know they, they won big last week against, I think it was Idaho, but that doesn't really tell you anything. And they look so bad against Iowa that it's kind of just deflating. With that being said, Cincinnati on the road here, uh, five-point favorites. I, that line has moved. That line has moved a decent a little bit. I think when I last saw it, it was at like three or three and a half. So that line has moved in uh, Cincinnati's favor. I'll take Cincinnati minus five. I, I think we still don't know if Michael Penix is still not himself. He doesn't. He clearly doesn't look like himself. They're very suspect on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, you know, they don't seem to be generating the pressures like they got last year with their exotic packages and things like that. I'm still a big Tom Allen fan. I just I just think when you're building a program like Indiana, you're going to have the ups and downs. And it just so happens to be that this might be part of the downs in, you know, in in this year. To give Cincinnati credit, they're they're a really good team and I have confidence in them and Luke Fickle and I think they get the job done. Cincinnati minus five. I see you guys have the money line. Uh, we were you both to are figure taking. out if what yeah. our threshold was because we knew it was like right around four or five points. So do you remember what we decided? I thought we said if it was five or less, you could take it. So I guess this would be a game that you could take. I guess it only makes sense that if I'm taking Cincinnati minus five, I might as well take the Cincinnati money line. So. So I'll join in on that. Take Cincinnati money line, Cincinnati minus five. And then with the over under here, 50 and a half, not a ton of points, which I don't think you could expect from either of these teams. Something that could be a little interesting here is, you know, Indiana does does play in, in a power five conference and they do have a little more athletes. than I think Cincinnati might be used to seeing, you know, maybe that catches them a little off guard early and that could give, you know, Indiana maybe a score too early that that could get the over. And and that's my play here. I think I think it's possible that the over hits. Obviously it's possible, but I, I think there's a there's a good chance that it hits. Just considering that it's not a ton of points. So I yeah, I'm gonna take the over the over of uh fifty and a half. Wow. There we go. That was our little, like you said, NASCAR rapid fire tempo offense of Hayden Ramsey. So now we're all caught up. We're going to jump right into our next game. Should be a lot easier to follow now that we're all back together. Michigan State is traveling to Miami, to Hard Rock, to face the number 24 Miami Hurricanes. I was actually kind of surprised this is a noon game when you consider a lot of the other 3.30 or 7 o'clock games this week. 
But it should be a fun matchup because I think that this should be closer than what the experts claim. Miami's a six and a half point favorite at home. The over-under is set at 56 even. Now, this is a game, you guys remember, I've been calling since preseason that I had a feeling that Michigan State was going to be able to win this game. I'm calling it outright. Michigan State wins this game. Yet another under coming out here for me. I do think that this is going to be a 27-21 Spartans win. And I'll tell you why before I throw it over to you guys. Miami, I just don't understand where this love and infatuation for Derrick King is. I don't see it as much as I try to watch him. I don't know why that the expectations are as high for this Miami football team year in and year out. This is another Miami team that almost lost to App State last week. Took, what, a, I want to say a late score to get that done. Win by two there. But, I mean, the guy just doesn't do anything that special to me. He went 20 of 33 for 200 yards this last week. He added 79 yards on the ground on, what, 19 carries? I think Michigan State gets it done. They looked very balanced in their two games so far this year. I think Peyton Thorne gets it done enough through the air to let Kenneth Murray do the rest. I have Michigan State, like I said, winning outright. We'll go back to Hayden real quick. Then we can finally get back to Casey. What do you have, Hayden? Who's your winner and who covers this game? This is, you know, kind of turned into an interesting game here with how Michigan State's looked. I know last week they beat up on a Youngstown State team, which, you know, we, we should expect out of them. This is interesting to me. So I'll start with who I think wins outright. Uh, I'm not as high as Wally is, I guess, on Michigan State. I, I think if I were taking the money line, which which obviously I'm, I'm not, I would take Miami. I think they're, they're going to win this game outright. But I think Michigan State makes it close, and that's why I'm going to take Michigan State plus the six and a half. I think they hang around and make this interesting. And, and, you know, maybe it comes down to Miami making a play late or maybe just having a few more athletes on the field, and that'll, that'll help them out a lot. But with the way Michigan State's, you know, run the ball, and, you know, obviously Miami's defense did not look great against Alabama. Nobody does. But, you know, if Michigan State can control the clock and move the ball on the ground, I, I, that's a hu- that's hu- that'll be huge for them. So Michigan State plus six and a half. The over-under here, 56. Boy, I, that to me, that seems a little high just because I do think Michigan State will try to control the clock. So I'm going to take the under on that. I'll do Michigan State plus a six and a half in the under. Michigan State will have to control the ball on the ground, control the time of possession, and limit limit how many times Miami can touch it on offense. I completely agree with everything that both of you guys have said as far as Michigan State's improvements and that every time we watch the Eric King, we don't see anything special. But for me personally, the only time I watch Miami football is if they're in a playing in a big game, which is typically against Clemson or um, Alabama or maybe, maybe throwing a North Carolina. So, yeah, he, he hasn't looked good against the best teams. This is the ultimate prove-it-to-me Michigan State game, in my opinion. I'm not quite sold on them yet. They've done the things that they've needed to do to win the games and look pretty decent. But I just think they need to prove to me that you can win this game. And then, you know, there'll be a team that maybe I believe in a little bit more. But for the time being, I'm going to rock with Miami minus six and a half. Not not by much. I'm going to go with the over and uh, with Miami winning 34-27. 
Yeah, I should point out, I guess, this is less of how high I am on Michigan State and more of a, I'm tired of getting lied to about Miami, it feels like. It's every year. So we'll see where it turns out if it's Michigan State's that improved or if Miami's just not that good, but that's where I'm banking there. Now we'll go to the Michigan Wolverines, their in-state rival there. Northern Illinois is going to the number 25. We finally see a ranked Michigan team here on the show. The Wolverines. Playing also at noon on Big Ten Network. They're a 27.5 point favorite in this game. The over is set at 54.5. Casey, we'll go right back to you now. Get your opinion on this. Do you think that Michigan gets a cover here? Because it seems like a lot of points from a team that has not really proven to be able to throw the ball much. I did think that that was a lot of points. I don't know if they're predicting the Michigan shutout or whatnot, but I don't think that's in the cards really either. I think Michigan will be able to run the ball at will, just like they have the first two games, really. They'll control the clock, and we probably won't see many passes from Cade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy. But I do think that Northern Illinois covers, and there are a few reasons why. They run the ball really well themselves, too. Their leading running back has 323 yards on 53 carries already throughout the season. So, I mean, that's, that's within two games. So he's averaging well over 160 yards a game. And then the second reason is Rocky Lombardi is the starting quarterback at Northern Illinois. What did Rocky Lombardi do last year to Michigan? He came into the big house as 20-point underdogs and beat Michigan while he was with Michigan State. Now, it's it's a little different. You know, they, they're going to have fans there and whatnot. But to have a quarterback in that position, have the experience at the big house – is really key, and I think that they'll put up some points. I'm going to go with the over. Or, no. No, I'm going with the under. Very close, though. I'm going with Michigan winning th- about 35-17. to 17. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Michigan's Michigan has been one of the more interesting teams, I guess I would say, after the first couple weeks here. They haven't had any stiff competition. You know, they did play Washington, who... We don't really know really know what they're about. We know their offense is pretty terrible. But I think their defense is solid, and they, and they were able to run the ball uh, all over Washington, which is really, really nice for them. You know, Casey mentioned the, the concern about Michigan's passing game, and while I do think that's true going forward this year, I don't think it really matters much in this game. I think they're, go, they're going to be able to run the ball extremely effective. And... You know, with their defense, you know, they've they've also played very well. Aiden Hutchinson's very good. It seems like Josh Ross is really coming into form. He's he's had a couple of good games here. It seems like, you know, four touchdowns is a, is a lot of points to win by. But I, I think Michigan gets it done. I think they they still have stuff to prove. So I'm going to take Michigan. I have it in our spreadsheet, TTUN minus 27 and a half. So I'm going to take that. And I'm also going to take the over. And, and the reason I'm... What's that? I was just reflecting on uh, Richard Petty, the former NASCAR driver. Yeah, oh, I Sorry. got you. Did yeah, I Petty. Have, I, I, I totally, <laughs> I totally missed what what you said. I got you. Yeah, it is kind of petty. I'm kind of like that. But I'm gonna take the over here because I do think that Northern Illinois can score a little bit. I think they'll be able to move the ball at least, and you know, it all depends on you know if they can finish drives in the red zone. And that'll be huge for them once the field kind of shrinks down a little bit. 
But I'm going to take the over and Michigan minus 27 and a half. Michigan is going to win this game, and they're going to be able to run the ball well. But until I see them be able to do it a little bit more through the air, I'm going to have a difficult time picking them in a spread like this. And Northern Illinois is a lot better, too, than I think a lot of people give them credit for. This is typically a very well-coached team and typically a, a MAC team that can compete with the lesser end talent of the Big Ten. They'll hang in this game for a little bit. Michigan's much better than them. Michigan will win, and I don't think there's ever a moment you wonder if the result necessarily is in doubt. But I think Michigan wins this game 28-14. to 14. Maybe Northern Illinois gets a late score somewhere. I just don't quite see it yet where we're going to see that 40-plus point performance again out of Michigan. I think Northern Illinois is a lot better than what we saw out of that Western Michigan MAC opponent we saw early in the year. And I think Northern Illinois does enough to at least keep the under in play. So like I said, Michigan wins this game by a couple touchdowns, but take that under. Now the Minnesota Golden Gophers are traveling out to Colorado. And boy, did Colorado almost make some noise this last week too. Fell short. They were up 7-3 against a Texas A&M team, a top five Texas A&M team that a lot of people didn't think were even going to be in this game in the second half. But the problem is, this Colorado offense, when I was doing that preparation into this show, I didn't realize how inept their offense was even before that AM game. I mentioned they lose that heartbreaker 10-7 last week, but their quarterback play, Brendan Lewis, he went 13 of 25 for 89 yards and a pick, but he was also their leading rusher. You go back to their opener this year against Northern Colorado, he only had 102 yards through the air on 15 attempts. I don't know how Colorado is going to be able to score. I know Minnesota's defense leaves a lot to be desired, but I think Minnesota does enough there, and they're going to be able to control the ball. Trayson Potts looked at least pretty good in stepping in for Mohamed Ibrahim's absence this last week. I think Tanner Morgan and Chris Ottman-Bell do enough to step up. Upset money line here. The three-point dog wins outright, so I have Minnesota to cover and their money line. And I'm going to take the under of 48 as well. Minnesota wins this game very close to that line, 27 to 20. So that makes yet another under I have hitting. Whichever one of you guys want to jump in now, let's hear someone else's thoughts on this game. Good on you for for boosting Ohio State's strength of schedule with the Minnesota out-of-conference victory. (laughs) No, um, you know, Colorado's offense looks absolutely horrid. But... They played Texas A&M really, really close, and that's a brutal way for them to lose a game. I still don't know what to make of Minnesota, especially after losing you know, that running back. That's a huge blow for them. I, I think Colorado gets it done. I'm going with Colorado minus three. I'm going to take them on the money line as well. Here's where I think you know Vegas gets a little crazy. I'm going to take the over. I know Colorado's offense has looked absolutely horrible, but... I feel like everybody, like literally everybody and their brother is going to be on the under here. So that's the perfect time for Vegas to strike and for the over to hit. So let me get the over of 48. Hayden, I'm rolling with Colorado minus three, two. I'm also going to take Colorado money line. Wally, one thing that you kind of failed to mention when you were kind of reviewing the two teams is that Minnesota, they looked like garbage last week against a bad Miami of Ohio team. And I just really can't get that out of my head. And then, you know, without Mo Ibrahim, 
obviously not coming back, but without him, I just, I'm not sold on Tanner Morgan and I'm not really sold on Minnesota yet. And we saw a Colorado team, shout out to Colorado, by the way, playing Texas A&M and Minnesota out of conference Two, I mean, quality opponents. You don't usually see teams do that. Usually it's just one and then two other cupcakes. So shout out to Colorado. They almost got the job done last week. I believe their defense will be able to slow down Minnesota and uh, ultimately get it done with a score prediction of 24 to 20 hitting the under. I'm ho- I, Maybe I'm just carrying the water for the Big Ten a little too much, but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully for our sake, I'm right. But I, I, I felt like I was doing that too much last week, not going to lie, but I did, it didn't turn out too bad for me. This time of year, I feel like I like to bet Power 5 matchups typically against a group of five teams. I feel like they typically will cover. This is where it gets tricky because the Pac-12 has looked really good so far this year, but like Washington's offense, I think that we're going to see that hold them back. But that's why they play the games. We'll figure out this weekend. Purdue now is going to Notre Dame. In-state little rivalry here. This is at 2 o'clock on NBC. Notre Dame's an eight-point favorite. Going into this season, there was no chance you'd expect a game like this to be this close, at least on the line. But we have seen Notre Dame at least struggle here the last few weeks. Struggled really with Toledo, and then before that even, they beat Florida State in a thrilling game that at the time we thought was bigger than it really was. We'll go to Casey first this time. Who do you have winning in this little battle of Indiana? Who's covering in the over-under of 58 and a half? The worst state in America, Indiana. The The worst worst state state in America. America. That was Casey's first pick. Unbelievable. Yep, Big Ten country right there. Purdue's looked all right. Their their first two games, Jack Plummer has six touchdowns, no no interceptions, and then David Bell's looked really good, 14 receptions, 255 yards, and three touchdowns. They do have George Karloftis on the defensive side of the ball as well. I was pretty high on that little uh, tandem that they had there all off season, But with all that being said, I'm rolling with Notre Dame minus eight. I just think that through their struggles, their first two games, practice this week was probably really, really good. And they got refocused, and they're going to be able to handle an undermatched Purdue team. I think that the over hits as well. I think Notre Dame ends up putting this game 38-21. to 21. Not so fast, my friend. No, I, I agree that I think Notre Dame is going to uh, cover the eight points. I was I was saying not so fast to the uh, to the over. I think the under is going to hit. I, I think Notre Dame is at least going to try to really establish the the ground game. And I don't know. Do they have a quarterback controversy going on over there? I I, I don't know if they know who should be playing quarterback. It threw like two times with that other quarterback and ran the ball with it. Like it was so blatantly obvious when that kid was coming in that they were just going to run the ball. So, I don't know though. Yeah. I, I don't really know. I, I think that they, Notre Dame's going to try and I think they will control this game on the ground and I think they're going to chew up a lot of time. So that's why I think the under, the under here is the play. I know that Notre Dame has struggled kind of the first two games but and I keep you know as an Ohio State fan, I'm especially telling myself it's it's only two games. Like we're su- we're super early in the season. I and I, I don't want to read too much into two games. I don't think Notre Dame is you know a, a great team, but they're better than the games that they've played these last two weeks. I think. 
So Notre Dame's a play. Take take the under. I think it hits. Sorry, Wally. <laughs> no, don't apologize. This is where I almost don't want to say it because it's been a kiss of death for you the last several weeks. But this is where I separate myself from you guys right here. That's the worst thing you can ever say in, in gambling. And I knew at the moment that it came out of my mouth that it would bite me in the ass. And naturally, I knew it as I was going into saying it. I even prefaced it with, I shouldn't say this because I know it's not going to work now. But I think Purdue hangs around in this game. I think they cover. I don't think that there's too much of a, a fear at any point about who wins this game. Notre Dame will win. The under will hit. I have Notre Dame winning 31-24. But I think that this Notre Dame team is going to be eerily similar to what we saw Wisconsin be for the last better part of a decade where they have a very good team defensively, and you have that Wisconsin-style quarterback, and perfectly enough, he is a Wisconsin quarterback in Jack Cohn. I think you're going to see him be more of a game manager. They don't turn the ball over a lot, but they struggle to score enough points at the under hits, and Purdue hangs around. These kind of in-state rivalries, it doesn't mean shit for the Notre Dame kids. These kids, a lot of them, they're not even from Indiana. They don't care. But these Purdue kids, they live an hour and a half, two hours away. And you hear that constant, I guess, arrogance from a fan base. Like when Ohio State plays Toledo, Ohio, Cincinnati, those other schools, those other fan bases want so much more than for that big dog to win that I think that it reflects in the game. I think Purdue keeps it close from that animosity. And they always get blown out, by the way. They they do, but they're not, again, Ohio State we're talking about. But I think that the animosity keeps Purdue close. They cover, but fall short. At what point do we uh, stop crediting Notre Dame's defense for being good? I mean, if we see, I mean, their first two games, they gave up 38 points to a Florida State team that just put up 17 against Jacksonville State. And then a MAC team, they just gave up, uh, in Toledo, they gave up 29 points. So I'm not, I don't think I'm retracting or retracting my, uh, I bet here, but I'm just having second thoughts. It's a fair thing to bring up. It's like for me, for instance, where like we watch Ohio State and it's similar where I'm, I guess, quicker to say there's a problem here. But if I was from the outside with how many athletes, with how talented they are, you just expect them to eventually figure it out. So I keep giving them that pass, whether I should, I guess that's another discussion. But, I mean, yeah, I have Purdue scoring mid-20s against a Notre Dame team at Notre Dame. That's probably not something you should do against a very good Notre Dame team. So you're probably right, Casey. It's something that's worth evaluating more later. But let's now go to your Iowa Hawkeyes. The up-to-number-five Iowa Hawkeyes, they host the Kent State Golden Flashes. They're 23-point favorites, and the over-under is set at 56 and a half. I don't mean to spoil your pick here, Casey, but you're this big Hawkeye fan, and and you're on the Kent State train this week? What's going on here? So, as we have seen the first two weeks of the season with the Iowa Hawkeyes, they are very reliant on turnovers, special teams play, really impacting the scoreboard. And I have not seen the offense do the things that they need to be doing to even put up enough points to cover against a probably not very good Kent State team. And it it did feel weird. It did feel weird taking Kent State plus 23 
if it was probably any other top five team outside of Iowa, like I would have taken, I would have taken the spread. But Iowa just doesn't have an explosive offense. I'm not crapping on my Iowa Hawkeyes for it. They're reliant on defense. I I love it. It's Big Ten football right there. And I think they might be riding a little high um, off their big-time win last week and and the week before, really. And so maybe they come out a little sluggish or whatever. I still think they win handily. But, yeah, they don't cover. I agree that uh, Iowa's offense is – Limited, I guess, is the word I would use. But you got to think that this week they'll at least be able to run the ball pretty effectively. And I've said that for a couple teams this week. It seems like it's the trend this week. But I do, I really do think they'll be able to run the ball and you know move the chains way more than they have these previous two weeks. We have to remember that at least we thought before the season that these were two big, big games that Iowa was playing to start the year. And I know, like, offensively they haven't looked great, but, like, Iowa State is, you know, is known right now for their play on the defensive side of the ball. And even, I know Indiana's kind of a, a, a tough one, but they were really effective last year for, for you know, their exotic blitzes and things they did like that to make a difference on offense. I just think coming out against two teams like that – like, yeah, you might struggle a little bit on offense. And this could be the the week that they're waiting for to really, I'm not going to say take off, but improve a little bit. So I'm, I take Iowa minus 23. I'm going to take the under just because I, I'm that big of a believer in Iowa's defense that I think they can really limit this Kent State offense. I'm glad that you just brought up Iowa's under in the defense being a reason why that's going to happen against this Kent State club. We talked about Kent State scores a lot of points last year. They scored only 10 against Texas A&M, but we're quickly figuring out that Texas A&M has a very good defense in their own right. They played VMI last week, scored 60 points. That's going to come down to the over-under in this game. Like you, I have the under because of how much of a believer I am in that Iowa defense, and I guess also how questionable I think their offense is at this point. I have Iowa winning this game 34 to 10, so covering the 23 by only a point, but purely on how talented that defense is, I think they're going to get it done, score just enough points at home to get the cover here, and then all of a sudden, I was 3 and 0 and what, giving up at this point 20 something points after 3 games. High 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 praise for Iowa and for Kirk Ferentz at the way they've started the season. Now let's talk about Tulsa's visiting the number nine now, Ohio State Buckeyes, after a loss last week to Oregon. Don't know what else to tell you other than Ohio State's a 25-point favorite. The over-under is 60. I'm taking Ohio State to win. I'm taking Ohio State to cover. They lose Josh Proctor for the year to a leg fracture, but I feel like this is a game that they're going to almost run up the score on poor Tulsa, come in extra pissed off than usual going back to that loss last week. You saw, similarly, we talk about the 2014 and 18 comparisons for this Buckeye team. In 2014, they beat like a Miami of Ohio the following week, like 70 to nothing. I think it's going to be a similar feeling of getting rid of that frustration. This is ironically my first, and it might only be my only over I have this week, but I have Ohio State winning, covering the spread in overhitting. 
We'll go to Casey, you first before wrapping up with Hayden. Who covers and does the overhead? Tulsa really, my goodness, uh, very, very tough start. Obviously, they got upset by UC Davis, but then they come back and they go to Oklahoma State and play a, a decent Oklahoma State team in a Power 5 conference very well and hold on to the end. And coming off a year where they were 6-0 in the AAC and really played Cincinnati tough, played Mississippi State tough, had 19 retu- returning starters. I thought this game would be a lot more interesting going into the season because of Tulsa, not so much because of Ohio State. But I have Ohio State covering as well. Wally, you you nailed it. I think Ohio State's going to come out pissed off. And they they're, I think they're going to put up 63 points while their defense struggles a bit again and gives up 21, which, I mean – you should take even though against it's against Tulsa, but I have Ohio State improvement, improvement. Yeah, improvement point wise, maybe not against, maybe not talent wise, but whatever. Ohio State wins sixty three to twenty one. Last week was just so disappointing for everyone, I guess, involved or rooting or you know fans of Ohio State. I feel bad for Tulsa because, like both of you said, I think Ohio State's going to come out and score like a million points and you know maybe they give up 900,000 points but they scored a million so they're going to win. <laughs> I think if you if you really want to lock this week is to take the over because I think Ohio State might score 60 points by themselves. Is that the over, right? 60? Yeah, that's on that's like that seems crazy low. <laughs> Especially with what we've seen out of Ohio State's defense. That honestly might be the lock of the week is over 60 in that game. You know, I guess something that I'm looking for in this game, and it's going to be hard to tell because Tulsa's just so overmatched, but to see if Ohio State is tweaking anything schematically on defense, and I know it's hard in the middle of the season to tweak your scheme like too crazy much because you've been working on it all summer and and whatnot, but it'll be interesting to see what Ohio State looks like on defense uh, because this whole week Ryan Day and the coaching staff has talked about changes are being made whether that be schematically personnel coaching I, I, I was reading uh, an article and I forget where it was that Kerry Combs might not even be calling the defense this week or at least might not be calling it full-time this week which I thought you know is kind of interesting this game, I don't think it'll be close, but I, I you know, like I said, I, I think Tulsa will be able to score some points, which is why the over is such a lock. I feel like this would be a good time to bring up what we were talking about before you came on, Hayden. Casey, you had heard rumors today on 97-1 that Mark D'Antonio was a rumored name to get into that defensive coordinating job and replace Coombs in the immediate future. Is that something that you've either heard about, read about, or do you have any initial thoughts hearing that rumor that's been circulating? Yeah, uh, everybody who knows me knows that I'm a fanatic on the message boards. Yes, I've I've seen I've seen all sorts of things honestly floated on the message boards, and most of them are crazy. Someone was talking about Will Muschamp and you know <laughs> bringing him on the staff, which I mean I think would actually be fantastic, but I don't know how how real that is. I don't know what good to me. The problem is this, this defensive scheme is something that Ryan day 
wants. He wants this one high safety look with the cover one and cover three. Now, obviously there are ways to disguise and, you know, make things less predictable, you know, out of their base defense, which I am totally in favor of. But if they are going, they, they, in my opinion, they need to bring somebody in who already has experience with this type of defense. Unless they're going to change into some form of a, of a two-safety look, which I, I wouldn't be upset by that at all. But from everything that I have read and understand is this is what Ryan Day wants, is he wants this one high look, mainly cover one and cover three. So Mark D'Antonio, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm not even, I can't even remember what he, what he did at Michigan State in terms of like what kind of defense he ran. But what I do know about Mark Antonio is he seemed like, you know, maybe not his last couple of years, but his defense always was downhill and attacking and aggressive, I think. That's fantastic. But if Ryan Day's not willing to be flexible in what scheme he wants, or if Mark D'Antonio isn't well-versed in the one-high look, I don't think it's a good fit. I think I, I just think they have to find... It, it depends on what Ryan Day wants, is what I'm trying to say. And if he wants to stay the same, then he needs someone who is well-versed and knows what the hell they're doing and knows how to make in-game adjustments with the, with, with the look they're giving. Since we were talking off-air, Casey, how about we hear your thoughts... Do you think that's a fit? Do you think that Coombs should be the guy for the remainder of the year? What would you be doing if you were Ryan Day? First and foremost, I would try to fix it internally. I'm not a big believer in making a big drastic change like that in the middle of the season or or right at the beginning of the season, right as the game started. I just think, like to Hayden's point, if they change their schematics all around on defense, then you set yourself up for like players not catching on as quick and you, you just don't have the time that you need to to put in your own system. So as far as bringing in a whole nother defensive coordinator to put in a new system, I don't I don't think Ryan Day is going to do anything like that. I think Kerry Coombs keeps his job. I think Ohio State fans just have those expectations that their defense should be playing better. And I think they will eventually, but I wouldn't make any coaching changes right now if I'm Ryan Day. I really don't have a lot to add. I'm very much on the same page with you guys. And changing schematically midseason, changing, just overhauling a staff, because it's really hard to expect that Coombs would stay on in a secondary role. That's just not yeah. practical. Yeah, Casey, uh, Ohio State fans right now who are listening to this are probably screaming at you because their hair's on fire with how bad the defense has been, not only this year, but even last year under Kerry Coombs. I agree with you, though. I don't think you can change coaches mid-season or even at the beginning of the season. I just think it puts too much too much stress on the coaching staff that you have. I, I definitely think that they need to tweak some things, and whether that being, you know, you know, just less predictable, doing a little more to disguise, you know, what covers are in or who's blitzing or, you know, anything like that I think would be great. But also, they got to look at their personnel, man. I don't know. I have never, and I don't know if you have, I don't. I have never seen anything like this with what they're doing with their rotations on defense. 
I mean, they're, they're playing like a million guys on defense, and, and they're rotating like eight, nine linebackers in and out of the game at all times. I, I, it's, it's like it's mind, mind-blowing to me. I don't know how any linebacker can even get in a rhythm, get a feel for the game if you're being rotated out every possession. Like, that just seems crazy to me. I think that's a good place to leave that. If something does happen, you know we'll be talking about it sooner than later because of how what the gravity of that move it would be. But now let's go to a couple games now that probably don't need a lot to be said. Delaware is going to Piscataway to face the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. It's an FCS opponent, so we're not going to be giving any lines or betting on that at all. Short and sweet, Rutgers is going to win this game. Ah, I mean... We really don't know much about this team at this point. They beat a very bad Temple team. They beat a Syracuse team that looks just non-existent on offense. When are we going to get to actually figure out what Rutgers is? It won't be this week. What are your guys' thoughts and expectations you want to see out of this Rutgers team this week? First off, I think they're going to win about 45-7. to 7. And to answer your second question... We're going to find out what Rutgers is made of in two weeks from this Saturday. That has to be when they play Michigan, right? I am really, really, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game because I think we found out, find out a lot about both of those teams after that game in a couple weeks here. But, you know, as for this game, obviously we're not betting on it because they're playing Delaware. Rutgers, Rutgers is going to roll here. They're going to be firing the cannons there at their stadium. I don't even know what it's called about a million times. So go Scarlet Knights. The three, you know, Scarlet Knights are about to be. Oh, I, I also fighting Greg Sianos. I, I also misspoke that Michigan Rutgers game is next week. So even better. Let's go. Yeah. We might be looking at a three, you know, matchup there. It could be a little fun. At least make you think a little bit going into those games. We better be looking at two, three, and no matchups. If not, yikes. Yeah, no, that's a good point. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. We're like, this next matchup, Northwestern's playing at Duke. Two teams that at least five years ago, both were at least a nine-ish win team year in and year out. Northwestern's hung around that. Duke, on the other hand, some people were saying this is going to be one of the worst teams in the Power Five this year. Northwestern's only a three-point favorite on the road, though. Over-under set at 49 and a half. I'll give you my picks real quick, and then I'll throw it over to you guys. I have Northwestern money line. I have... Oh, actually, excuse me. I'm not touching the money line because there's so much, I guess, unpredictability about this game that because we're doing all the spreads, I will bet Northwestern to cover. But this is a, a matchup that we really don't know a lot about these guys. Northwestern, they still kind of struggled on offense last week against Indiana State after looking terrible against the Spartans to start the year. And then meanwhile, Duke, you lose a thriller against Charlotte. And then last week, you beat up on another FCS team you don't know too, too much about. They're very dependent on their running back, Mateo Durant. He has six touchdowns through two weeks. I don't know really what to make of this game. It's not a game that I can confidently sit here and tell you anything that I have a strong feeling on. I have the under actually in this game. The Wildcats get the job done 28 to 16 on the road. When you have to say a team beat Charlotte or lost to Charlotte in a week one thriller, 
I'm going against whatever team played that team. So I'm obviously, uh, I'm going with Northwestern minus three. I'm going to take Northwestern money line so that I can try to gain an advantage over Wally. And then I'm also going to roll with the under. I think Northwestern gets it down like 21-13-ish. I'll make mine quick because I agree with both of you. I'm Northwestern minus three and the under 49 and a half. I am not touching the money line just because uh, I trusted Northwestern when they played Michigan State and they looked like dog shit. So I probably won't trust them the rest of the year. You got yourself hurt, Hayden. Yeah, I, I was hurt real bad. We actually were watching that. That was like a double whammy. Like we got blown out on a Friday night and I thought there was a chance that we could compete and we clearly did not compete in that game. And then we went to uh, B-dubs only to see my bet just, just melting in front of my eyes and it was just horrible. Yeah, that would that was a tough night. That's for sure. But not this Saturday. This Saturday night matchup, I'm actually about as excited as I can remember being for a non-Ohio State game to see an SEC team like the Auburn Tigers, number 22, going up to Happy Valley for an impromptu whiteout. I'm fired up. I There's not... I really don't have much to say from going into this expectation-wise beyond that because Auburn, we don't have any reason to have expectations. They've beat the hell out of Akron and Alabama State. Penn State, on the other hand, you know a little bit more about them. They beat Ball State handily last week after beating a very good, at least a very talented Wisconsin team. I'll give my picks real quick, and then I'll go, I guess this time we'll go to Hayden first. I've been carrying the water for the Big Ten All episode, and it ends right here. I have Auburn not only covering the six and a half points, I have them winning outright in this game. Take the money line, plus 170. The under is going to hit as well. So that means that I have every single under this week, with the exception of the Ohio State game. That was completely accidental when I did this. I just see a lot of low-scoring games here. I have Auburn winning a 23-21 game. I'll do Casey's week one kind of feel. This is a game-winning field goal situation. Whether that be... Auburn hits one to win, or Penn State misses one to lose. Very, very tight game. But regrettably, I think you see the SEC get another one up on the Big Ten here in Happy Valley. I don't think there's any way that that happens. I think that wideout is going to be spectacular. Penn State always typically plays their best game when they play that game. And I'm I'm so excited for an SEC team to come up here and finally have to go through that. Every Big Ten team has to go through it at least once a year. And so with all that being said, I think Penn State rolls. Oh, okay, it doesn't roll. Penn State wins a tight-ish game, 35-27, to 27, and gets the Big Ten a very much-needed win over the SEC. So with that being said, I am taking Penn State minus six and the uh, over of uh, 53. What a good... Not preseason, out of conference matchup that we get here. I Casey said it. I'm, I'm so glad that in you know a Southern team, an SEC team gets to come up here. The only thing I wish, and I know it's not really possible, is I wish this game was in like November when it was freezing cold and they had to come up here and play. That that would make this game even sweeter. But nonetheless, it's it's still very very cool. I am rocking. You know, Wally has a a, a term, and I'm going to use his term here. This is a system bet 
a system bet. SEC team, you know, out of conference, more times than not, it feels like they cover. And I just so happen to think this is one of those games. And call me crazy, call me crazy, but I'm rolling with Auburn on the money line with Wally. I really think, I, I think there's a chance they get this done. And that plus 170, I think it's worth it. The only disagreement that I do have with Wally is I, I'm going to take the over. I think they score just enough points to hit the over with Auburn coming out victorious. I'm glad that I have someone else here with common sense that wants to join the right side of history, Hayden, so I appreciate that. I do want to point out, Bo Nix has looked much better this year. I know that he's basically been playing a couple middle school teams here in the first couple weeks, but all you can do is play who's on your schedule, and Bo Nix has not been turning the ball over, which is a very pleasant change, I'm sure, for many Auburn Tiger fans. But that will bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We will be back here early next week, recording on Sunday. Hopefully have that out for you guys on Monday morning to break down the week three games. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, and Instagram also at P&NPod. Do either of you guys have any thoughts for us today before we get into the week three college football slate? Yeah, I I want every Ohio State fan listening to this to relax just a little bit. I know I know things are not looking good, but the reason that we need to be optimistic is because we still have the most talented roster in the conference and it's not even close. We still have the best head coach in the conference and I know it didn't look like that on Saturday because because of a lot of things quite frankly. But I still have a lot of confidence in Ryan Day and I think he is an excellent bright young mind in our sport and I think he'll be here for a long time so do not push the panic button we still have literally everything that Ohio State fans players coaches whoever in front of them that they Big Ten championship beating Michigan a playoff berth all those things are still on the table they have to obviously get much better things need to need to improve need to change but don't push the panic button quite yet yeah, I don't really have too much to say. Hayden, good luck on Friday. Wally, I hope you have fun recording your other podcast, man. It was a pleasure pleasure being with you guys. Always a fun night. Always a fun night. It is always a blast to hang out with you guys and talk a little shop. Well, I can't find my wallet, so that's why I'm freaking out right now and not in front of the screen. No, yeah, you're good. Make sure you go and find that. Hey, any of that listeners out there, just go look for Casey's wallet and let us know when you get it. Yeah, I think I think I dropped it on the street or something. If you want a free wallet, I'm gonna have to go out there and look. It's loaded. It has exactly two dollars in it. <laughs> hey, hey, I think it's eight actually. So get rich, baby. Well, good luck to you, Casey. Hope you find your wallet. Outside of that, guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you share these podcasts with your friends and family. Really want to start growing this, guys. We're putting a lot of time into this. And we can only get as big as you allow us to get. So if you can, share this, like this, retweet this, whatever you got to do. We desperately appreciate it. Give us feedback. If you have criticisms, critiques, anything you want. If we can get better, we want to get better. But outside of that, again, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you for episode 23 here. Ooh, ooh. I have, I have one final, final thought. Final, final thought and, to Hayden. And this is, this is my parting jab at Casey is... 
we played Golf Clash last night, and to be fair, to be fair, he let me win like four games in a row because I needed some coin. But the last two, I beat him. And I think he was I, trying. I, I think he was trying, and I actually play, won. Play me tonight. And he has much play better clubs than me. All right, I, that's, that's a deal. Let's do it. See you guys. We'll see you guys on Sunday for episode 23 of Kicks, Kids, and Nylon.